Hello, this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is David Turner. Um, yeah, I'm in the south of Norway. I'm in a town called Kristiansand where I used to live. I'm sitting on a rock quite high up overlooking the harbour and it's really beautiful. Um, I'm not showing off, I just mentioned it because I've been in Sweden and then on to Norway where I've had the luck of um, talking to some really interesting poets. So Hopefully within the next couple of months there'll be um, a couple of interviews going out from my trip here. Uh, Today's episode is uh, unusual in that it's the first time I've broken a conversation down into two parts because we had so much to talk about that um, it just ran on. So rather than editing stuff down, uh, I just decided that the whole conversation should go out. So part one is coming up now. and before I explain what it is, I just want to say a big thank you to Arts Council England for uh, granting us some funding, uh, which will help us over the next 12 months. So this can start at the beginning of September 2016, and the funding will run and part fund the whole project until September 2017. And this uh, episode is the first one where I've been able to pay and involve a guest host. So. Today's episode, um, I don't appear on it, I just recorded it. Um, Jacob Samuel Rose, who is a fantastic poet and is involved really heavily, as you'll find out from the episode, with um, the education of uh, poets that want to work themselves in education. So uh, he was involved with um, uh, a scheme at Goldsmiths University and, and is now... Uh, well, he explains himself. I'm not going to do a very good job of explaining that. But he's joined by uh, fantastic poets, uh, Keith Jarrett and Miriam Nash, and they talk uh, about a great number of things, but how mainly in this half, uh, how they got involved with education, and um, there's a lot of interesting tips for anyone that wants to get into facilitating poetry with in schools and with young people. And before that begins, uh, yeah, just a quick note. Um, I've also used the funding from the Arts Council to sort of rebrand and remodel the whole series. So there's some new artwork, um, which I, I personally think looks really great. Um, and we now have, if you go to tumblr.com, uh, uh, Lunar Poetry Podcasts, we have a little blog there. So there'll be updates so I can write a little bit more. And as usual, we have the page on Facebook. And uh, Twitter is silent underscore tongue. Yeah, so I hope you enjoy part one of the uh, Poetry in Schools discussion with uh, Jacob, Keith and Miriam. Welcome, this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. My name is not David Turner. Uh, This is the voice of Jacob Sam LaRose, sitting in the conversational directorial seat. Uh, I have two lovely, lovely human beings and poets with me in this lovely, lovely office building in Barra, uh, overlooking a, a rather lovely hidden park, um, which has a name Little Dorrit attached to it. I'm not sure what the history behind that is, but lovely. Um, so the two people, more importantly, in the room with me right now are Miriam Nash, and if we have a soundboard, you'd be hearing applause right now. <laughs> and the one, the only, Keith Jarrett. <laughs> So, uh, for anyone who doesn't know you guys, I mean, shock, horror, someone who doesn't know your backgrounds and who you are and what it is that you do, uh, I'm going to start with Miriam. Miriam, tell us something about yourself. Who are you? What is it that you do? I am a poet. Uh, I'm an educator. Uh, I'm a sister. Important. Um, I've been doing, I've been working in education with poetry for about seven years. I was introduced to the work by your good self. Uh, and yeah, it's a pleasure to, to sit here today around this table. Absolutely lovely. I, I love that sense of uh, the various different roles. Must not forget that Miriam is also a sister there. Very, <laughs> very important alongside all of the other work that is done. Uh, and Mr. Keith Jarrett, tell us something about yourselves. Hello, I'm Keith Jarrett. I'm also a good sibling, um, I hope. Um, I'd like to think so. And I am a poet. I also write fiction and I'm also an educator and have been part of the Spoken Word Education project uh, for a few years and I'm trying not to count them. 
um, <laughs> because time is flying really fast yeah. and that's just some of what I do but at the moment I am full-time a PhD student and I'm developing my creative work while also looking at research in religion. Mm. Yeah. Mm. As uh, some of the 13-year-olds I was working with earlier today might say, deep. <laughs> uh, just, um, you know, not to forget myself here, for anyone who doesn't know what it is that I do. Hi, I'm Jacob Samarose. Um, I'm the current artistic director and lead lecturer for the Spoken Word Education Program. I run the Barbican Young Poets Program. I also am the artistic director for the Barbican Junior Poets Program, and we now have a Barbican Alumni Poets Program. Um, I support a range of different communities and collectives, uh, the Burn After Reading community, for example. Um, a large part of my work is given over to supporting the development of young and emerging poets, as well as being a poet and performer and educator myself. Um, I've been working in and out of classrooms in various different educational facilities and institutions and spaces and community spaces for, oh, I don't know, as, as Keith was saying, perhaps too long to count, but something, if I had to put numbers to it, something around 20 years now. Um, so it's a joy to be sitting in this room about to embark on a conversation around the work that we do as poets in education. Um, I'm really curious just to get us kicked off about, so I, I, I was having conversations with two people who were shadowing me earlier today and talking about my first experience of, of running a workshop and of being in a classroom and, and how it was that I got comfortable with that sense of a leading something along those lines. And I'd be really curious in, in terms of you guys, um, what were your first experiences? How did you actually get into the work that we're talking about? On an informal level, uh, I think it's one of those things you're expected to do once you've got your name about a bit as a poet, just to turn up to a school. Um, and I think I was just asked to, if, if I'm correct, because I, I can't really remember my first ever experience of doing a poetry workshop in a school. I've, I've done other things. I, I also taught English as an additional language. Um, and I should have known better. Um, but I, you know, walked into a, a classroom and went, Ick, what do I do now? Write. Why aren't you writing? Why aren't you interested? Um, so I, I, I think I really didn't know what I was doing um, in my first, uh, my first sessions as a, as like just when I was expected, I, I think I was just called and it was probably National Poetry Day and I was asked, you know, go do something and get the kids entertained and writing. Um, so it was a really loose brief and I just loosely thought, yeah, I can do it. And then I, I did a mentoring project, which was really about looking at um, um, certain pupils at risk of exclusion. And so they wanted me to do um, a workshop where I'd be getting them to write poetry and rap and using that as a way of, of bringing them in. Again, it was a really wide brief and I, I was very inexperienced. Um, and I cringe, <laughs> I really cringe thinking about those early days and the times where I just sort of hide in the stationery cupboard <laughs> and think, what am I doing? <laughs> and how was yeah. that, I, I have my own agenda for asking this question, that, that workshop that you were asked to do around poetry and rap, and that mm. kind of expectation. I mean, was it an expectation? Um, how, how did that sit with you? How did that feel in terms of that sense of, please deliver a workshop that relates to poetry and rap for us? Um, it, it actually, the, the, the story of that is, is a bit longer mm. and it came from some mentioned work that I wasn't very well prepared for either, where I was working with primary school age um, children at risk of exclusion and I wrote a report based on that. Um, which then went out to a number of schools in, and one of them picked up on what I did and said, oh, brilliant, and you write poetry, how about mm. you do something with poetry, which sounds good, um, but then I, I, I wasn't really supported, I was on my own, mm. I was 22 or something, and, you know, and it was, I, I, yeah, I do cringe, but mm. at the same time, I see the good intentions right. behind it. Right. But then also when you're sort of poetry and rap are um, 
you know, rap is a part of poetry, but it, it can be a separate discipline. And there's this kind of ex expectation, oh, there's something cool. Why don't you go and do something cool with the kids? Yeah. That will stop them committing crime. Um, and, and it didn't quite work out like that. But I did, um, I, I, I did form some really good relationships with young people through realizing that I was slightly out of my depth right, mm -hmm. um, right and then trying to correct it yeah I have this kind of um, vexed relationship um, meaning that essentially I, I kind of fall on both sides of the divide with regards to the relationship between poetry and rap mm. and expectation mm. around that so I know I remember in my early um, the earlier part of my career I did have a period of time where I flirted with hip hop as a kid, mm. right? So that was at one point very much a part of my culture, but I'm, mm. I kind of moved beyond that for my mm. own self. Um, while I still love hip hop music, I would mm. never consider myself to be an MC as such. And like mm. you, I respect that rap is an art form in mm -hmm. itself that has ways of working and skills associated. So uh, there is a part of me that remembers a time when there was this expectation that because you were of a certain perceived background, mm -hmm. um, yeah, okay, you must be able, because you do some stuff with words, right? Yeah. So that's hip hop as well, right? Yeah. So you say you're a poet, but hey, come in and speak to these kids and do some rap stuff with them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, not quite that simple. Yeah, 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 I totally appreciate that. So Miriam, what are your hip hop workshop skills like? <laughs> I am occasionally asked if I will rap <laughs> by a young person. Fantastic. Um, but I say no, because I wouldn't do it justice. I want to be in the room Although if that I ever actually happens. Although I am quite good on the Hamilton lyrics. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I started out just I kind of fell into um, running some workshops or running a writing group for peers mm. um, when I was doing my undergraduate degree at Goldsmiths and through that I um, met Spread the Words, mm. the wonderful organisation, through that I met uh, the poet Sundra Lawrence, mm. through that I met yourself on a, on a teaching project, a poetry project in schools in Harrow. Um, I wasn't teaching on that program myself, I was supporting it in a kind of administrative way, which has been another part of the work that I do, producing and administering projects for young people. Um, and that was a very formative experience for me, seeing that work um, and seeing the, the power of that work and being involved in it, but also being able to look at it before I had a go myself. Um, and then I obviously had the incredible uh, luck to, and the, the incredible privilege to work with, with you as one of your shadows. And I think we worked together for almost a whole year, mm -hmm. actually. And I, I, rem I remember I worked with you in a number of different schools and pupil referral units and museums. And so I really got to see, yeah, I was a very, very lucky member of your, uh, of your shadow community um, and uh, yeah so I got to see that work happening in some different settings mm. and then some way into that um, we were both working on a project at Erith School in Kent with the wonderful Doug Bloom uh, and so as part of that I ran my first workshop in a classroom on my own and but you were there to support that um, as well as the teacher of course so I did have a very supported entry into uh, poetry and education mm. as a as a workshop leader, which uh, I you know think about and talk about actually all the time in my work because you know I I guess part of what I'm able to communicate is that I do this work and not only the teaching the the not only the workshops but you know I feel I am a poet because of the support of yourself and, and other poets who, who made it possible for me to even see that this was um, a job mm. that you can do. Uh, however strange and tenuous it may sometimes feel, mm. um, it, was, it was, I could see it there and I just thought this is incredible work that I didn't know was, was happening. Mm. Um, and I was not only shown that but able to be brought into it.
I love that. Listeners, I am blushing right now. You cannot <laughs> see this through the airwaves or uh, over the uh, digital streams. Uh, but yes, um, thank you uh, for reminding me of some of the work that we, we actually did back in the day. Um, I, I, I want to celebrate the administrative side of what it is that you've done and maybe we'll come back to that because I mean for all of us in the room we have these varied perspectives so you know experience of doing this work as teacher as well as poet and facilitator um, experience of not just being the poet in the classroom but also supporting the poets in the classroom and liaising with teachers and venues mm -hmm. to to ensure that that work happens and to make sure that everyone's supported um, I'd love to come back to some of that a little bit later in the conversation but I also want to pick up on that sense of the support mm -hmm. that you said that you had because again I know um, for me when I was upcoming and learning my craft and learning what it meant to be poet at the front of a room that wasn't a performance space but that was actually a learning space mm -hmm. um, you know a lot of that I learned on the hoof so to speak mm -hmm. um, there were very few if any actual pedagogical workshops or workshops around the the notion or the craft of how you pass your skills on to students or how it is that you work with other people in that way um, so a lot of what it is that I've taken on I mean obviously I've studied since then but a lot of what I picked up in the early days was just through doing it and figuring out what it was that worked and going into a workshop and saying okay that didn't quite work as I planned hmm gonna have to rethink that and come back with something different why didn't it work okay let me try this the next time but um, now we have and I mean this isn't necessarily accessible for all but there's more support for these kinds of things. So again, Keith, you have an experience of going through the spoken word education program. Miriam, you had an opportunity to be supported by not just me, but other teachers that you had access yeah. to. Um, tell me something about that experience of the kind of support or the kind of investment in development as an actual craft that you may have had and what that actually meant to you in terms of your development. I first um, met Peter Khan mm. um, a, a few years ago and he contacted me via recommendation from somewhere, someone else. We had a Skype conversation. He told me about um, this radical project which um, was starting, which is a collaboration between him, different poetry organisations and goldsmiths. And I thought, wow okay, this is very interesting. I'd never heard of anything like that before. An opportunity to do what I'd been doing. By that time, I'd, I'd worked in schools, doing poetry projects, mentoring projects as well, where I was slightly more comfortable in the classroom mm -hmm. um, than my first experiences of hiding in the cupboard. But um, going through the, the process of, of being under in a traineeship almost and then um, also having that academic um, backup to it being at Goldsmiths doing the MA um, and having colleagues other people who are undergoing the same process for me that's just been infinitely valuable and I just don't understand why it hadn't existed in the way it had before mm. and why there, there weren't more opportunities for people to do that. I mean, I know just even basic things about how um, you present work and present examples. And obviously there's the, the teaching stuff of, you know, thinking about people who might have dyslexia or problems with vision or whatever, and, and thinking about how you present your material, but then how you demonstrate, how you prompt poems, um, how really simple, basic things which I'd never thought of, like, okay, if I'm going to set an exercise for students to do, I should have done it myself right. first, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I should have a, a, a template poem of my own, as well as another example poem, like, things like that, no one told me that until actually I went through that process of training, and I thought, wow you know, all of those 
wasted opportunities. I feel like there were wasted opportunities where I was in schools where actually pupils who weren't engaged, they may well have been if they got it and if I'd had that, you know, that extra background. I'm not saying that I'm a perfect teacher or workshop leader and I'm not saying that everyone is going to um, pick up something from a poetry workshop, but I, I feel that um, having that background, having that training has hugely helped me teaching, but also generally in how I present myself to other people. And I think that more or less answers that. I'm not sure what your experience on that level is. Well, I, I think, I mean, for me, that's that support. I think the support that I had was what even got me into the classroom um, and made, you know, made me feel like I could enter that space. Um, and it was, I remember, it used to be so terrifying. Mm. I mean, the night before I would go into a school, uh, particularly when I started to go in all on my own. You know, first you have to find the school and it's really early. It's on the other side of town. You know, it's got several entrances. <laughs> um, you, you know, you have to get in, yeah. <laughs> first of all. I'm thinking um, of a particular school in East London that has two different sites that I think yes. we all are familiar with. <laughs> Um, and yeah, you could be at the lower site and actually realise that your workshop's supposed to be at the upper site or something yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and it's then, ten minutes walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you have to find the, you know, the teacher and you have to sort of be presentable, but you're sweating <laughs> and you, you know, you weren't quite sure what to wear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, finally you get into the classroom. Um, but, so that, you know, that support was, was really, really... Uh, important just in, in uh, giving me the confidence to be able to know how to you know uh, even enter into that space and talk to teachers and you know make sure that I knew what I needed to know mm. um, and feel that I could ask questions and I guess even with that support still when I start was starting I thought that I was supposed to know things mm. you know I thought that I was supposed to just be able to get on with it um, and that, uh, you know, that, that, that was a requirement. Um, mm. And, you know, if something went wrong, I would feel really bad. Um, whereas now, you know, I think one of the wonderful things about having some more experience is, you know, I think, well, you know, things, go, things don't go as planned all the time. Mm -hmm. And part of your role as an educator is to be able to adapt and see what's happening and kind of be aware of yourself in the space. Um, and not get lost, I guess, it, you know, not, not get lost among all the, you know, with all the ideas of, of what you think you're supposed to do. Because if you're so caught up in, you know, presenting in the right way, if you're so worried about um, getting it right, you're, you're actually, you're not in a position to give support and energy to the students. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you need to be able to have that support to, to be able to, to do that, to arrive in such a way that, um, yeah, that you're there for them. And um, I, I guess every teacher has to go through some kind of wrangling yeah. with themselves in order to get there, but it's so much easier to do with other people. Yeah, it's fascinating. The first year of teaching for just about every teacher that I've ever kind of spoken to or had any kind of interaction with, that first year of teaching is like a hellish experience. Yeah while you figure out who you are and how you relate to the work that you're being asked mm -hmm. to do. Um, but then you learn from that incredible kind of, you know, intense period of pressure and um, just trying to do right by your students and by everything that you know you're supposed to be offering them. And you come out on the other side of that a better teacher, ideally. Mm -hmm. um, there's so much in what you've just said, both of you, that I really want to celebrate. That particularly um, three things that come up from what you just said, Miriam, in terms of, um, our relationships with failure, mm. um, the notion of being present in in, a, in any space where we're teaching, and that relationship with um, improvisation and being able to think on our feet. Mm. Um, that thing about failure is such a big thing because we have to be, in, in my opinion, we have to be um, able to hold the possibility that things aren't necessarily going to work as planned, yeah. right? But also we have to balance that 
against the fact that we've got these various different stakeholders in the room, right? So we've got the students themselves, but we've also got the teachers or whoever the representative of the institution that we're working in, and they have, they all have their various different expectations. Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of balance that sense of, well, hey, look, it might not go according to plan, but we'll do something mm -hmm. with this sense of, well, these guys are expecting something and these guys are expecting yeah. something and I'm kind of, you know, beholden to what it is that they expect. Balancing that can be a really challenging thing, right? So there's that, there's that sense of being present in the room. I love that sense of presence and being completely kind of just there, right? Being in the room and alive to what's being offered and, and not just following a script. Being responsive, this notion of responsive mm -hmm. teaching. Um, I love that idea and that's something that I try and put off over to, um, to all of the spoken word education students that I'm working with now. That sense of responsive teaching and being able to shift and respond mm. to what it is that your, te your students are giving you back. And how, I mean, the number of times I've turned up in a workshop space and what it was that I was told would be, you know, the situation or here's the brief and you get there and it's like, this, this is nothing like what you told me was going to happen. That this, this space is completely different. These students are completely different. The teacher who I'm speaking to in the room is saying that actually this is a workshop about, I don't know, naval history. And I thought it was going to be about whatever. And we had these conversations. We set it all up. So being able to think on feet is so important. And it comes back to that sense, um, Keith, in, in terms of what you were saying around expectation and I'm fascinated by that and I don't know if you guys have any thoughts along these lines specifically um, the the notion of facilitating or teaching there is this expectation of us as kind of creative professionals or freelance literature workers whatever um, that some part of our income will come or be derived from facilitating or working in a classroom environment Yes. And it really comes back to, for me, this question of, beyond that expectation, why are we doing this work, mm. right? It, it, surely yeah. it's not just about the money, it's not just about, I need to be able to earn X amount from this mm. teaching activity in order to be able to survive as a quote-unquote poet. Surely there's something more in terms of why. I mean, why do you guys do this work? Why is this work important? Is it important to you? Why do you guys do this work? What's it all about? To me, it feels really integral to uh, to my work as a poet mm. um, because I feel like it writing on its own is is wonderful and it's it it's so amazing to to spend for me to to spend time uh, learning that craft and reading and working with other poets, but I think. Being able to work in education, whatever that means, you know, I, and that really doesn't have to mean any one particular thing. You know, I don't just mean working in schools, but taking taking the poetry into different settings. Um, for me, that feels really uh, essential to what poetry is, mm. what poetry is for. Mm. So I, yeah. So so to me, that's why. And actually, I have. I, I, yes, I have those moments on my own at my desk where I think, yes, this is it. But I also, I have probably even more moments where I'm working with somebody, um, you know, whether it's an adult or a young person, um, whether it's someone who has experience or who's writing their first poem, where there's this, un there's this recognition that we're working with creativity here. And... Um, that's an incredible thing as well. I mean, that's such a privilege to be able to work with people on something that is so personal. Because, you know, having an audience is about communicating the work that you've done. Mm. But uh, using poetry and education, it's communicating the process, mm. and co communicating the, the, that wrangling, that learning that you're doing yourself. So that's so exciting, you know, when you get to do that with somebody else. And I think that's, that's, to me, that's really important about this work is that whenever I go into a space, I'm, I'm just reminding myself that the people I'm working with are creators in their own right. Yeah. And they may not identify as creators uh, at that particular time, but they are because we all are. Um, and yeah, so that's why I do it. <laughs> There's something beautiful in what you just said that uh, I might come back to you after I uh, invite Keith to say a few words about 
why it is that he does this work but that notion of the relationship between process and product mm -hmm. in the settings that we work in and again how a lot of the expectation unless you have someone that you might identify as a champion teacher who kind of understands and really does appreciate and really values the work that you're doing there's a sense of yeah we want them to write poems mm. um, yeah all this kind of airy-fairy processed stuff no 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 <laughs> what we want at the end of this period of time is we want 30 poems or mm. we want 10 group poems or we want this you know we want the the, the finished anthology or you know the mm. focus on the actual product is um, you, you can see the you can appreciate the importance but to create space and to actually create an ability or to allow for that space to focus on the process that can be communicated beyond the session that you're leading yeah 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 I celebrate that Keith why um I mean you answered that beautifully and there's so many bits in there so I'm, I'm just thinking of different ways I could answer that um and one of them is simply that I'm going through a process where I feel really weird at the moment because I spend all of my days, uh, this is just for a couple of months, but mo most of my days, probably about between six and eight hours a day I spend at the computer mm. just transcribing um, interviews that I'm doing as part of my research and I, 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 it's driving me crazy. Mm. <laughs> um, in a good way because I know it's temporary and it's part of a bigger project which I'm really excited about but I know that if I just sat on my own writing poems all day um, and not communicating in other ways interacting with people passing on um, I was going to say passing on my knowledge but it isn't that and we'll, we'll probably come back again a bit, a bit and like how we see relationships with pupils or students or whatever um, but sharing mm. um, sharing process and sharing how I do things and, and how different possibilities is just as important as me having my creative time and all my time alone to to work you know with me and my computer or laptop or you know notebook or whatever it is um, I think as much as I crave that a lot of the time, and especially at the end of a long day where I'm in a school teacher, I'm like, I just want to be in my own and white home. <laughs> um, I crave that, but if that was all that I had to do in my life, mm. I wouldn't be satisfied either. So it's a weird thing because sometimes I, I do almost hate it. Um, and especially working in schools, and that was a, another thing with the Spoken Word Educator Project, I'm, I'm no longer embedded in a school. Mm. Um, and you know after my last day and after really missing some of the kids that I was working with um, suddenly I was like yeah I'm free I don't have to put up with all of the pressure that goes in being in a school I find schools incredibly depressing places um, the institutes themselves and the management and the way they kind of work but it does something working in that having those challenges having the mm. the conflict between the head teacher who wants um no problems no fuss nothing controversial the teachers who want results the kids who want either to be entertained or to do something that engages them yeah. and you who wants to make a difference like all, all of that and as, as a creator as well wants to have your own artistic integrity rather than going to some curriculum or you know what was it naval history or whatever <laughs> um so there's all of these conflicts and that challenges it creates a lot of heartache and stress and i probably have more hair on my head um if i didn't <laughs> ever work in schools um at the same time there is something so valuable and so rewarding and i've i've also had some of my undoubtedly some of my best experiences just being in a school mm. getting to know pupils who I learn from as well mm. I have learned as a poet um, to write through teaching poetry and being challenged and all of that and yeah. and as much as yeah it's, it's something that does <sighs> scare me I have to be prepared for it <laughs> I have to be prepared to teach and it isn't easy 
um, it, it feels like something, you know, it's that expectation. Oh, you write, you should teach it as well. Right. Um, it's not easy to do it properly. Mm. Um, and it's especially in schools. Um, mm. I, I think working with young people is a particular challenge. Um, but I, I, I couldn't see myself not working in some form or another with young people, um, helping them, you know, create poetry. Mm. I think it's worth pointing out the model of the, or at least part of the model of the spoken word education program, which was, as you said, that sense of, um, okay, for the first year, you'd spend that time working alongside whoever the lead on the program was, um, having seminars around both the craft of writing and the craft of teaching. Um, but then also you'd be in a school um, one day a week, I think it was for your year, right? Yes. Yeah, so you were yeah. in one day a week working alongside Peter, who was lead at that in that year. Um, and uh, With the facility, it was kind of on-the-job training, that, that facility to try things out, see how they would work with, again, the kind of support that Miriam was talking about, with someone like Peter in the room who'd be able to feed back to you after you'd run that workshop. Yeah. But then the second year, um, once you've gone through a year of that kind of instruction, that kind of training, the second year you take on a school for yourself. Yeah. And you'd be in school, your generation of spoken word educators, you had, was it four day weeks? Yeah, four yeah. day weeks. Four yeah. day weeks. So um, I know when I stepped, so I stepped into the program and took it on in the second year of the program, which is when you guys were just starting your placement. Yeah. And um, one, of the th one of the thoughts that I had that I put in place the following year was that I felt the four-day week, there needed to be a bit more flexibility for people around that because um, there's this uh, relationship. And again, one of the things that you were, were touching on was this notion of balance, yeah. right? And being able to balance your needs as working artists between the work that you do in concert with other people, um, the work that you do in spaces that are filled by other people, the work that you do that is feeding into other people's development, yeah. but also the work that you necessarily need to do as writer in that space between you and the page. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the whole thing about the Spoken Word Education Program at the moment is a sense of that balance between you as teaching artist and you as poet in your own right doing that work. Um, I think it's really, I mean, it's, 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 it's powerful stuff to hear you talking about that kind of, that sense of what it actually takes to be in an educational institution. I mean, hats off to all of the teachers, any teachers that might yeah. be listening into this conversation, Amazing. all of us who've, who've worked in any of these kinds of roles can appreciate and have some appreciation for uh, the work that it is that teachers have to do. Um, you know, crazy hours, Monday to Friday, plus whatever time it is that they put in from their own time, preparing lesson plans and making sure that they're ready for the next week ahead. Um, you know, there is so much that is asked of them and as teaching artist in a role, if you have that kind of full-time or almost full-time placement, I mean, four days a week essentially becomes five days a week. Yes. Because you're there and you are delivering work for those four days, but your fifth day, which is supposed to be kind of time out for you to be writing and, and doing you, really becomes, do I have everything I need for the next week, right? And that's something I think we forget, regardless of whether you're a spoken word educator or a resident artist or any other program that you might be working on, I think one of the things we sometimes forget to account for is that, that, that preparation time. It's not enough for us to just turn up. Yeah. Hey, I'm here now, let's, let's write some poems. Um, you know, there is that preparation time that when we fail to account for, we kind of end up bankrupt in terms of time. Yeah. Um, and we kind of lose that. It, the time has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And we lose that time for ourselves, right? Which is really important. I know self-care is a big thing that I want to talk about in a moment. Um, but Keith, I, I just wanted to come back to something. You were talking about this notion of um, relationship with students and how that is formed in terms of I think it was and you can correct me here but I think it was that sense of what your needs might be in relation to what it is the needs of the students might be was it something along those lines yeah I mean so, so there were so many different <coughs> conflicting needs and it's a bit like you know if you pick up a children's book in a bookshop 
the, the, the bookshop isn't trying to sell to the child necessarily. It's the librarians and the parents who have right. the money. Um, and but at the same time, the child needs to be interested enough to, you know, if it's a series, they're going to say, "Mummy, mummy, I want the second one," or "Dad, I want the second one." So, your my challenge always is thinking, you know, who's this for? It's for me, you know. There's my own ego work, which is I love poetry. I love playing with words mm. um, for different reasons. One of them, I mean, I'm a big fan of like really cheesy puns you know I just I'm constantly playing around with what they, they, they are my toys um, and which means I need to be careful when I write poetry sometimes to take away like right. a lot of but so when I do a workshop often I'm thinking about okay how can we make this a fun play in words that's my own personal thing but then actually what does the pupil need what do I want to get out of them you mentioned also like about you know not necessarily having the same um having an idea of what a class is going to be like but then having different expectations when i'm told that there are certain ability or you know I'm, I'm told different things about the pupils or not um again i have an expectation oh, okay so this is what the teacher expects of them um, and so this is what I want to get out and I'm constantly challenging myself to okay I want to get them to be you know if this is someone who has never written I want them to write a poem for the first time so, so there's my own ego in so there you say which is, those kinds of challenges you know, yeah but a lot of that is my own ego right. whereas really you know what is in that child's interest maybe actually they just need to chill <laughs> and you know and have some time where this is the first time that they've even had the idea that they can express themselves yeah. um, and but then at the same time if this you know child wants to express themselves but I know that the school has a particular rigid policy and says you cannot talk about gangs guns crime this you know they've got a whole prescriptive list yeah. then I've got that challenge on top of it okay what takes priority is my own politics right <laughs> going to take precedence over the schools or what I think might be in the child's interest. So I'm, I'm constantly thinking about that. I think it's, it's I was going to say it's easier, but it's not. It's, it's when you're embedded in a school where you're there for more than just once, then you can really take on board those challenges a bit more. And then along with the preparation, then there's the emotional work. So you've got to factor that into your mm -hmm. preparation time. But then, you know, if it's just a one-off, you know, you're flying into a school, then like in that preparation, I'm, I'm so, I've sort of got tiny little key points. Okay, let's try and make sure that they all write 10 lines. But at the same time, you know, let's really get to what I want from mm. that. Is, is, is it to be fun? And for them to not be put off by poetry by the end of the hour. <laughs> so do you all, do you have these kind of baseline? I mean, regardless yeah. of whatever the workshop might be, yeah. do you each of you do you have your own kind of personal manifesto in terms of you know for this I want to for this kind of workshop experience for every workshop that I might go into I want to get out a sense of. Um, I want to be able to leave these students with an appreciation of poetry, for example, or um, I want to make sure that they have this understanding of, of how metaphors might work, or do you have your own set of whatever the workshop is, here are three key points that are just a part of my practice when I go into a space that I want to try and ensure that these students are left with generally in terms of an experience of poetry. Do you have those? I, I think, uh Yes and no. Okay. I think um, I, I, well, yes, in the sense of things that I kind of want to to be in the room or ex mm. kind of core experiences, mm. but no, in terms of um, you know a, a line requirement or everyone mm. has to write a poem even. Mm. Um, but I think you know the the first one is definitely what you what you said. It's fun, yeah. and that's something that that that. Uh, you taught me very early on it's like you know you need to have fun delivering your workshop you need to have fun and that helped me a lot in getting through the kind of the first fear of going into a classroom in the early days mm. just thinking like oh 
fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So easy to forget, huh? Yeah. yeah. And thinking, okay, you know, um, so that's why, you know, it's relevant um, me, me being a sister because my, my thought about, you know, being my, with my sisters is that we have a lot of fun and like with my sisters, I'm probably sillier than with any other people. Right. You know, and so I guess I try and just get a little, a little bit of that. Um, I don't know. In you know, it's not often. You know, if I'm going in for the first time, I won't know the students. Right. But to try and have a sense of fun. Yeah. Um, and then I think that there's something else which is um, very easy to achieve. Um, but I I'm glad to kind of think of it as as a core. Uh, thing experience is that um, you know they get to meet a poet and they get to ask them questions um, and you know obviously I'm going in so that's that's very easy that's already kind of ticked but it's it's like they there gets to be some exchange where they get to interrogate well what is a poet what do you do so I have to remember never to take for granted that um, you know uh, that they will understand what a poet is or what my role is and why I'm there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a really important one. I'd like to have three, you know, for not <laughs> yeah. For completion. Yeah. Um, yeah. The rule of threes. I, 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 I mean, it's not so much a requirement, but I do, I do uh, find myself working with the notion of um, specificity and using yeah. detail almost more than any other uh, anything else in terms of technique because even beyond you know thinking about what a poem is I want them to understand uh, how language sticks with us mm. in our minds mm. and I want them to to have an experience of, of that um, so usually that's going to be in an initial session by me sharing probably a poem by myself, maybe a poem by someone else, and asking them like what they could actually remember after hearing that in the air without being able to read. Um, so that they can, you know, hopefully, they can start to think, like, oh, okay, because that, that's helpful in every situation in which they're asked to write yeah. Yeah. in school. Um, you know, even, even in speech, actually. Mm. <laughs> being able to convey something um, in a way that people will remember. Keith, can you can you add anything to that list? Anything else to that list? Um, in terms of the things that you, uh, when you know you're going into any kind of workshop, whatever that workshop might be, are there are any kind of base principles, base considerations, regardless of what the the specific content yeah. of that session actually is? Are there any base principles that you generally adhere to in terms of what that experience should offer the students that you're working with? I mean, my first one is a negative, which is just I don't want them to come away. Um, I, I don't want to ruin poetry for them. Right. <laughs> so, right. like, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's so easy to do. Um, and then the other one is, is connection. And something I learned from being in the, the school where I was for a year mm. um, was not to write people off mm. um, which is a tough one because I did it in different ways because I would target my aim was initially I really want to go for um, the because of my background in mentoring and exclusion and all of that I, I was concentrating on kids who are kind of deemed bad or deemed at risk of you know being um, having behavioural issues or whatever. And then also the kids who were super interested and wanted to come to Spoken Word Club. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna go for, for those. And people in between I wasn't that mm. concerned about. But right. at the same time, I mean, look, looking back, that was really naive. There were a few kids that I think I, I really could have paid more attention to. And one in particular, by the end of that year, she was so fantastic and helped um, mentor other kids um, in poetry and was such a great experience. So my greatest thing, even if it's a one-off, is to try and take each 
person on their own merit oh, yeah. as much as I can. But then that, you know, say it's a class of 30 and it's an hour, yeah. that's not very feasible. But even just to like get everyone to say their names um, and just to make sure that I get eye contact with everyone yeah. and just to say and, and keep positivity going that's mm. the, at the as the bare minimum never to dismiss anyone mm. um even when i'm trying to get them to work and work but even if they're like oh, i can't be bothered and i know i've only got this one workshop for one hour with this person who i never see again i'm going to keep a, a atmosphere of positivity that one won't put them off but two will make them think well actually maybe we've connected and there's something so yeah in short, to open doors, if I can, to keep them open, if they're already open. Yeah. Um, and that's it, in a short, you know, if yeah. I don't really know them beforehand. Just in terms of my own thinking around the, the kind of base principles that I like to bear in mind, um, I try to give over or try and leave my students with some, some kind of technical awareness even if it's one point, some kind of technical awareness or technique that they can use in terms of the craft of writing or in terms mm. of their poetry, right? Um, and that, that kind of goes towards this sense of, I wanna make sure that they're left with something that exists beyond me. So it's not just about me being in the room, yeah. being the poet who's arrived, who's given them this, hey, great experience, and then disappears for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that sense of here are some skills, and it's not just about me, it's about your relationship with this, this mm. thing that we call poetry. Um, I want to try and ensure, and again, I have that experience similar to you, Keith, of, of being brought in to work with students who are identified as um, failing or who have difficulties in the education system or whatever along those lines. Um, and I want, for, for, for so many of those students and for so many of the other students I've worked with, regardless of whatever their background is or their sense of attainment or achievement, I want to give them the sense that poetry is something relevant. Yeah. Yeah, something that is accessible, mm. something that they can claim as their own. It's not just this kind of yeah. old dead thing over there, um, which also leads into this, this kind of conversation between poetry, and it kind of comes back to the poetry rap thing that we were talking about before. Maria, mm. I'm still keen to hear you rapping. Um, <laughs> but that whole sense of the relationship between poetry not being cool and the things that are cool. So that sense of the, the relationship between poetry and spoken word, for example, um, and how we brand things as spoken word to make them accessible to students or how some people brand things as spoken word to make um, Poetry is a broad, broad yeah. field, right? And I wanna challenge you, I wanna push you a little bit. You might say you like this part of that field, which might be defined as spoken word, but I want to show you that that's just one one point on an, a large map. You can travel across that map as much as you want. There are so many different places that you can go.